We live in a culture of more. From a very young age, we are told we can be more. We can be smarter or faster. We can earn more or have more than our parents. We can buy a larger house, a nicer car, a better wardrobe. We can take vacations to more distant lands and do more exotic things. And we can do these things quickly turns into we must do these things, if we want to be happy at least. We must go to expensive out-of-state colleges if we ever hope to have a fulfilling career. We must buy a minivan if we want our children to be safe. We must earn more so we can buy all the luxuries that have quickly become necessities in our lives. Our existence quickly becomes cluttered with all the must-dos and must-haves. Our stuff, our desire for more, ends up owning us. And some people are truly trying to get off this treadmill. Instead of saying more, an increasing amount of our population is finally saying enough. Minimalism is a strange countercultural movement in our society where people are purging their closets, selling their storage units, and simplifying their schedules. Decluttering has become more than a moment of spring cleaning, as some people take it to the extreme, living in smaller houses and only keeping things they absolutely need, choosing to borrow or rent things that they may need only for a time. Instead of overloading one's schedule because of FOMO, fear of missing out, folks are choosing to embrace JOMO, the joy of missing out. People are choosing to be intentional with their space and their time and their money. And one of my favorite rallying cries of this moment is, love people, use things. The opposite never works. While the buzzwords may be different, these two movements are the same folks have been struggling with since before Jesus' time. There is language around scarcity, the desire for more, the hunger that cannot be satisfied, the feeling that if I can just be richer or more powerful or stronger, I can finally be happy or can rest or be loved. Alternatively, there is language around abundance. While I may not have everything, I have enough, and I am enough, and I have something to share with this world. When we are insatiable, When we are starving for more, when we are so overloaded in our lives by the feeling that we do not have enough or are not enough, we see people for what they can do for us. People become the means to an end or a pawn in our game. Or worse, they become obstacles to be overcome or background to be avoided. In the gospel today, the rich man doesn't torture Lazarus. He doesn't abuse the man, and he is not the reason for Lazarus's poverty. Rather, he doesn't see Lazarus at all. He doesn't spare a thought for the man begging at his gates. And once he finally does see Lazarus, who is warm and cared for for the first time, the rich man wants to use Lazarus as a servant. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames." Abraham denies his plea, so the rich man tries again. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. 
that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. The rich man has not yet learned his lesson. He sees Lazarus not as a person, not as a beloved child of God, and not as an equal. Even after death, he sees Lazarus as an object to be manipulated. Love people. Use things. The opposite never works. Today in 1 Timothy, we recognize a line I should have tattooed on myself somewhere. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You guys have heard me talk about this single line of scripture multiple times, and it is one of the few my practically cradle Episcopalian self can quote from memory. But before you roll your eyes and say, here we go again, let me actually draw your attention back to the beginning of the lesson. There is great gain and godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Jesus goes even further, as recorded by both Matthew and Luke, when he tells us to consider how God cares for the lilies and the birds of the air. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Our God is a God of abundance. Our God is a God of contentment. Our God is the God of enough. God does not want us to worry about the earthly things. When we get focused on the earthly, when the treasures of this world become our priority, our focus, we lose track of our relationships with God and with our neighbor. These relationships become afterthoughts. But if we find contentment on this earth, if we find peace with our possessions, if we can finally say, enough, then and only then can we make seeking the kingdom our priority. When I was 15, I went on a mission trip with All Saints to Honduras. I had never even flown in a plane before, much less been to a foreign country, and I can't say I've ever seen folks with so little. But I also had never seen folks who were so generous. When we arrived, they welcomed us with small fried sugar-covered dough balls, essentially homemade donuts, and a two-liter of Coca-Cola. Soda and white sugar were complete luxuries to these people, And this love offering was made only after a collection was taken up from the whole village. We brought many toys for the kids, from soccer balls to bubbles. And instead of doing what I clearly would have done, claiming an item as mine, these kids shared everything in such a joyful way. Bubble wands were passed from hand to hand with no concern over who owned it. Soccer balls were passed from child to child without any concern for getting it back and nothing was shared begrudgingly. Rather, from the very young to the very old, everyone seemed happy to be able to share something they had with their fellow person. While these folks had essentially none of the things I would consider to be necessities, they had found something I had not yet encountered in my middle-class American lifestyle, contentment and gratitude. We are surrounded by images of what we don't have, Commercials on TV remind us that people have newer cars than we do. Magazines show us the skincare products that will finally make us beautiful. 
Our social media is inundated by ads for things we're already searching for on Amazon. But as Christians, we are not people of scarcity. And constantly chasing the next best thing, whether it be a love interest or a job or material goods, will never bring us the satisfaction that we seek. Instead, we are being called to say, enough. We are being called to be content, or actually to be grateful for those things we do have. And we are being called to rest in the comfort of God. This does not mean we will find ourselves without desire for something more. But it is an acknowledgement that nothing earthly will ever fill that hunger or thirst or poverty. As C.S. Lewis said decades ago, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. While we may find fun or fleeting happiness on this earth, we will always have that longing in our soul for something more, a longing that only full communion with God can fill. So go ahead. Have nice things. Be faster or stronger. Go on great vacations. But stop saying more. And finally say, enough. Love people. Use things. The opposite never works. Spend time being grateful for the things you do have rather than comparing yourself to others. And seek out God, the bread of life, the living water, and the ultimate provider of peace, satisfaction, and contentment.